everyone. I'd just like to welcome you this morning, give you a warm welcome to Bally and Presbyterian Church. And if you're a visitor here, you're very, very welcome. Um, I have a few announcements just to go through here. Um, just want to thank everybody for all the work that went into yesterday and uh, thank you for supporting it. And uh, it's be, it was a tremendous afternoon and the, the amount raised came to 1,200 and then with gift aid on top of that, that brings it to 1,500 pounds. So thank you so much for your support in that. Uh, Kirk Session will meet on Tuesday night, 8th of February at half past seven in the church. Um, also, Fire Warden, we're looking for your help. Would you be willing to be the Fire Warden for the church? Uh, details of the duties and the responsibilities are provided in the order of service. Um, please consider this carefully um, and um, just think about it because it's something we're going to need and if you can get in touch with, if you're interested, get in touch with Karen Cardy. Um, the next meeting of the PW, a circle of friends, will take place on Monday, the 7th of February. That's tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in the church. And the guest speakers are Terry and Mary Morrison. And they'll share their experiences at Cape and Ray Bible School from their visits over the years there. At the Men's Fellowship, uh, Saturday the 12th of February, 8 a.m., if you are interested in going and you haven't let Bill know, uh, please contact Bill Aiken if you intend to be there. And the details are on the order of service. And standing orders, we have a request for members of the congregation to consider using standing orders for our number one, two, and three accounts. And forms will be available after the service in the vestibule. I'm going to just ask Evelyn to come up. She's going to come up for a wee minute just to announce uh, about the quiz, up-and-coming quiz night. Morning, everybody. Uh, I'm sure you know all about the quiz. It's been on the announcement sheet. <clears throat> it's been on the BPC update, the church Facebook page. So you might wonder why I'm here this morning. Uh, and it's very simple, it's timing. Because this Tuesday is the uh, deadline for registering a team for the quiz. Um, the reason for that is very simple. In the old days, you remember, uh, we used to organize a quiz on a Friday night and we opened the doors and put the tables out and people came. And if more came than we expected, we just put out more tables and, and more chairs. But this year, like last year, for everyone's peace of mind and safety, we're doing it as an online quiz. So uh, my appeal is both to those of you who are present in church and those of you who are watching online, that it's an online quiz. It's on the 18th of February at half seven. And we need to have the names of the team leaders with Barry or me or Tom or um, Pat as soon as possible so that Barry can get the organization up and running for the quiz then. So if you're thinking of having a team and you haven't got around to it, or if you'd like to do that, please let us know as soon as possible. Um, the, um, so far we've, we've five teams registered as far as I know, so we have room for more. And your team can be as big or as small as you like. It can be friends, family, work colleagues, your home group, whoever. Uh, and if you'd like to join the quiz but you haven't got a team, 
let us know and we'll link you in with one. So that's all to be organised within the next two or three days, and that's the reason for the haste. And it's important, I think, for us not to forget why we're doing it all. It's not just for the, the chat and the entertainment, which is great, but we've been supporting children in a children's home in Arequipa, Peru, and in a school in the Tuberary district of uh, Rwanda for some years now, and they've been very appreciative and, and very touched by our support over the years. So we want to continue doing our best for them because life has been very hard, not just normally very hard, but even worse during the pandemic when infection rates are high and vaccination levels aren't great. So it's important we continue to support them in our prayers and in our giving. And you can give, there's, uh, there's um, envelopes out on the table in the vestibule, or you can donate online. Uh, you'll get all the information on how to do that if you go to the Ballycrocken Facebook page and go to the most recent posting for ba Barry's Big Quiz. But please remember the people, the children in those countries, and also remember to support the quiz and have a good evening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Evelyn. I uh, just want to open our service then this morning at Psalm 40, along the theme of waiting, waiting for the Lord. We're going to have a wee look at some of the verses during the service. Um, Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the mary clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Let's pray a moment. Father, we just want to come into your presence and we want to still our hearts before you. We pray, Lord, forgive all our sins. Forgive how we have failed you, perhaps during the week. Lord, we want to come in and we want to wait for what you have to say to us today. Lord, we don't want to be uh, thinking about what's going on outside or the things that we have to do this week. Lord, we want to be focusing our minds, our attention upon you. Fill our hearts. Touch our hearts. Lord, touch every person here. that You know their needs. Touch their hearts, Father. Go from seat to seat and move within them by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may we leave this place today Lord, knowing that we have met with you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand, we're going to sing our first hymn. It's by Jesus, I love thee. Remember when Jesus met Peter and Peter had denied him and Jesus met him on the beach. All Jesus wanted to know was, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And it's, it's the best type of worship to proclaim that we're our love for Jesus Christ. It blesses God's heart tremendously. Okay, so let's just start on, start right in. Rather than getting warmed up, let's get start right in and, and worship the Lord.
going to ask uh, Bill, Bill to come, Bill Aiken is going to come and sing our, read our Old Testament reading, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30 to 39. <clears throat> then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of, of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And here ends the reading. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. Hey, boys and girls, mums and dads, grannies and grandas, who likes a good bonfire? Anybody like a good bonfire? I'm going to tell you about the best bonfire ever. The best bonfire ever in the history of this world. Okay, so I want to talk to you today about the prophet Elijah. Right? Now, there was a massive, massive drought. Anybody know what a drought is? Any boys and girls know what a drought is? Yes? Yeah? Yeah, well, this drought, there was no rain for years. And when there's a drought, the crops fail, the harvest's terrible, and people start going hungry, animals begin to die, oxen and cattle and sheep begin to die, and it's very, it's terrible. It is really terrible. Well, there was a massive big uh, drought in Samaria uh, during the days of Elijah, and God said to Elijah, go to see the, the king Ahab, Go to the king Ahab. He was the king at that time, and he was a very evil king. He says, go present yourself to Ahab, because the reason there had been no rain was because of the sin of the nation. So God said, go to the king Ahab and speak to him, and I will be with you. Okay, so there he is. He's got a lockdown haircut, <laughs> hasn't he? And he came along, and Elijah came to him, and Ahab came, and Ahab was trying to blame Elijah for, for the drought. And Elijah says, no, it's not my fault. He says, what I'm going to do, Elijah says, I'm going to have a bonfire tomorrow. 
You get your prophets, the prophets of Baal, that was a false god. You get your prophets, 450 of them, and I will come and we'll both set up a bonfire. And not allowed matches, not allowed flint, not allowed to try and light it yourself. We're going to just pray to God, and the God who answers by fire will be the true God. We'll claim him as the true God. So that's what was arranged. Um, see that? Yeah. So Elijah went up and met his own people early in the morning on Mount Carmel. And his own people came around him, and he said to them, Listen, I don't know why you're, you're focusing on this Baal, who's a false god. Why are you worshipping him? Hey, what are you worshipping him for? And sometimes you're worshipping our God, the true God. He says, it's like, a, it's like a seesaw. One day you're worshipping the false God, the next day you're worshipping the true God. And he says, when are you going to stop sitting in the, on the fence and being indecisive? If Baal is the true God, worship him. But if ours is the true God, worship him. So what happened was, he said to the Baal prophets, he says, you've set up this bonfire and you put your uh, bull on it and you cry out to God and see if your God answers by fire. So that's what they did and they started to worship their Baal God, their false God. And they were running around the fire and they were chanting and even cutting themselves as they did in worship. And you know what happened? Do you know what happened? Nothing happened. There was no one answered. And isn't that so sad? And they cried out to their God all day long and their God didn't answer. Because he's not a true God. And so then it came to Elijah's turn. And Elijah, he got his, he got 12 rocks. Do you see the big rocks there? Each rock represented a family, a tribe of Israel. And he wanted all of the tribes of Israel to come back to God again. And so he carefully led them on the ground, one by one, 12 rocks. And then he turned around and he said, right, let's make it hard for our God. Let's make it really hard. Right, go and soak the whole bonfire. Go and get the water, throw it on. And they did, and they soaked it. He says, do it again, put more water on. He says, do it again, put more water on, until it was absolutely soaking, drenched. And then he, he, he turned to God and he looked up to heaven and he said, God, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Let it be known, God, that you are the true God of Israel. Let your people know that they can come back to you. And, you know, there was a, a bit of a sound in the distance. You could hear this, like a, a rushing sound. And then the next thing from the sky came this ball of fire. Oh, ball of fire down upon the altar. And people were amazed. And the people of God, they get down on their faces, we're told. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We don't want to worship this false god, Baal, anymore. We want to worship the true God. The God of Israel is the true God. And that's how they came back to the Lord. Well, what about the drought then? What about the drought? Um, Elijah went and he went off and he prayed 
to God. He says, God, bring some rain. We desperately need rain. Please, bring rain. And he sent his wee servant away. He says, go and look over the sea. We servant ran off, looked over the sea, came back. He says, do you see anything yet? Nothing. He says, go away again. Off he went again. Came back. Did you, anything yet? No. I'll go again. Seven times. Seven times. The sixth time he came back, he was exhausted. He says, there's still nothing there. And then the seventh time he comes back and he says, you know what? Out over the sea, I can see a cloud's just coming about the size of a man's hand. The size of a man's hand. Very, very small. So just, God teaches us often to wait. Just to wait. And there they were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then suddenly the rain came and the drought was over. And they just loved standing out in front of the rain. Having not had rain for years, they stand out and enjoy it. But boys and girls, it's important. Sometimes when we pray, we have to wait. Sometimes God can answer straight away. Sometimes he can say yes. Sometimes he can say no. But often he can say, wait. When I was doing this wee story during the week, I thought of Jesus. I thought of Jesus on the cross. It was an awful day that day. He was on the cross. Nobody apart from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit knew what was going on. The disciples were devastated. The women were crying around the cross. They were devastated. It seemed crazy what was happening that day. And his body was taken down off the cross with all the pain and the blood and the just awful. And they took him and put him in a tomb. And after one day, there was nothing. And after two days, there was nothing. But after three days, there was an empty tomb. And Jesus walked out of that tomb and uh, was alive forevermore. And he's called, you know, we're, we're, we're told, you know, Jesus is the water. He says, I am the water of life. Anyone that drinks of me will never thirst again. There'll never be a drought in your life spiritually when you have Christ in your life. And he is, he is the water of life. And so I hope, boys and girls, that if you've been praying, and mums and dads, you've been praying for something for a long time and it hasn't happened yet, don't give up praying. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on waiting. And God will answer it. God will answer it. Let's pray a wee minute. Father, we thank you, Lord God, uh, for how, how big and how mighty you are. And God, maybe we can't identify with this false God, Baal, but there can be other things that are more important in our lives than you that we can put in place of you. And Father, there are gods at times. Help us not to go to them, but to make sure that you're first in our lives. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and thy strength. May we put you first in everything. And may we learn to wait upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing uh, one of your songs. Today we've got a, an action song. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. So I think it goes, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. 
my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, and there's nothing that he cannot do. And then it goes on to the, to the mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork too. And my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. So let's stand and, and sing. Along the, the theme of waiting this morning, uh, I'd like us to, to sit back and, and take a moment of reflection um, to listen to a, a, a track called I Will Wait For You. It's by uh, the singer Shane and Shane.
I wonder, do you this morning feel that you've been praying for something for a long time? Maybe someone who's sick, maybe a job opportunity. Maybe praying just for something for so long or someone to come to faith in Christ, a daughter or a son. Sometimes you just have to, to wait. In Psalm 27, verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I want to pray now a prayer that was written by a a lady called uh, Christian Fox. And uh, let me just pray with you. Uh, And maybe you can identify with some of the things that she's saying. I come before you with my heart filled with so many different thoughts and feelings, Father. I'm tense and uncertain about what I should be doing and where I should go. I feel weak and helpless, powerless. I'm worried about what happens next and whether I have the strength to handle it. Deep down, I wonder how long will I be here? Will I I be stuck in this place of waiting forever? And why am I here to begin with? What's happening, Lord? But most of all, I wonder, where are you? Why haven't you responded to my cries for help? But even as I pray that, I know you are right where you're, you've always said you would be. You're right there where you've said you would be. You've never left me. You'll never forsake me. You're not deaf to my cries. In fact, I know the thoughts in my heart before I even think them. You know exactly what is happening, why I'm here, and what's going to happen next. All things are in your sovereign care and control. Nothing happens outside your knowledge and will. Not even a hair falls from my head without your willing it to happen. Nothing surprises you or takes you off guard, including this issue right here, right now. You know why I'm here waiting, and you have promised to use it for your glory and my good. Forgive me for all my doubts worries and fears. Forgive me for my impatience as I sit in this place. Forgive me for questioning the story you've written for me. Forgive me for not seeking your face and allowing the struggles before me to seem greater and stronger than your grace and mercy for me. Cleanse my heart of all that keeps me from you. Help me to see the ways I've tried to be my own God and my own Savior. Help me to see the false idols I have erected to worship and serve instead of you. Help me to see the things I am clinging to right now that I think I must have to make me happy and help me to repent and turn from them. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to remember that it is good to wait for you. The prophet wrote in Lamentations, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. As I wait, help me to remember and dwell on the salvation you provided for me through Christ. Help me to remember that the same grace that saved me at the cross is the same grace that sustains me today. And that same grace is at work in me even now, shaping me into the image of your Son. And no matter what happens, No matter my current circumstances, I am safe in the shelter of your wings. There is nothing that can separate me from your love. Nothing and no one can snatch me from your hands. 
Grant me the joy that comes from knowing you and being known by you. Fill my heart with gospel joy. Strengthen me by your word. May the words of the psalmist be true of me. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. Help me to remain faithful in this place of waiting. Help me to serve you and live for you, even in the crossroads of my life. Help me to wait as long as it takes. I pray all these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Just before we come to the word of God, may we just stand and, and sing, How great thou art, how great thou art.
read now Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, as we continue our series, Seeing Life from God's Perspective. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that it can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you uh, for sending Jesus, your son. We thank you, Jesus, that you came. We pray, Holy Spirit, won't you teach us more about his lovely name. Amen. I think it'd be right in saying that I'm sometimes a bit uh, eccentric, <laughs> spiritually eccentric, I mean. Uh, eccentric, eccentric literally means off-center, off-center. And there have been times in my life when I have been off-center, when Christ has somehow slipped from being central in my life. And I think that can be said often of the church in Northern Ireland, the church in the West. Uh, the church has been at times eccentric. It's been off-center. It's lost Christ as the center of its focus. Uh, but it's not a new thing, though. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, in the letter from Christ to the church in Laodicea, Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. This verse is often used as an evangelistic verse for the sinner to open their heart to Jesus Christ. Um, but that's not the context here. This is Jesus knocking to come into the church in Laodicea, knocking and calling that they would let Amen. And what I want to know is this. How did he get outside the door in the first place? That he's calling to get back in. It can happen so easily in a church when we substitute Christ for religion or routine or programs. And many of the things are good things, but when Christ is replaced, he can be sidelined. A.W. Tozer wrote in one of his books, I think it was In Pursuit of God, he wrote, if the Holy Spirit were to leave the church today, 95% of church activities would go on. No one would notice he was gone. Whereas if the Holy Spirit left the New Testament church, 95% of the activities would have grinded to a halt. And the passage we're looking at this morning it's all about Paul keeping the main thing the main thing. 
It's about centering on Jesus Christ and getting the good news of the gospel out to anyone and everyone. I remember as a child, my mum telling me what she knew of the tragedy of Jim Elliot and his missionary friends. I remember my mum then asking the question, saying, why would God let that happen? And Jim, and his, Jim Elliot and his friends, they were missionaries out in Ecuador, uh, trying to reach the Aka Indians. Uh, these young missionaries, young men and women, uh, had felt the call of God and, and had trained to go out there. Um, the Aka Indians were renowned for being savages, savage Indians, dangerous, very dangerous. And when they arrived, they began to try and make contact with the Aukas uh, using a small plane. Um, they would fly over the river and with a rope they'd lower down a bucket with gifts in it and go slowly over this small beach and the Aka Indians would pick out the gifts. So they were connecting with them and after several months of doing that, the men decided to take it up a notch. They decided, let's, let's build a base for ourselves close to the river, close to the Aka tribe. And so they did, and on one occasion, some friendly Aka Indians happened to come over, and one young fellow who became very friendly with them, they called him George. He had a very different name, a fancy name, but he was, they called him George, and he, they gave him a ride in the plane, and he loved it. So they were so encouraged by all of this happening that they decided that they would try and uh, go and visit and meet the whole tribe. So the day was the 8th of January, 1956, and they approached very cautiously. Um, and as they met more of the tribe and they started to try and communicate with the tribe, there was a misunderstanding over a particular photograph and they felt threatened and the Aka people, some of the, the tribe, speared them to death and all these young men were tragically killed. And, and it's a good question that my mum asked. Why would God let that happen? How, after all the preparation and the heart surrender and the courage that was needed to go out there, could God allow this to happen to these young men? And these are difficult questions to answer. And their young wives were obviously devastated. Jim Elliot was only 25 years old. You know, I think if we had been on the team, I know if I'd have been on the team, I probably would have gone, listen, we got this all wrong. We should never have come here. Let's just go home. But that's not what these men's wives decided to do. Most of the wives stayed. And after much prayer, they entered the village of the Aka people and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and the whole, family, whole village came to faith. And there's one man who was involved in the killing. He became a, a pastor of a church himself. And Paul, in our passage this morning, he's aware that the church in Philippi are probably discouraged by his arrest, really discouraged. He's the main evangelist. He's the main man to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ for them throughout the Gentile world. What on earth is God doing? Shutting him in or allowing him to be shut in in a prison cell away from this mission field. And Paul writes, he writes, 
Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And I'm sure as this letter was read out in the church of Philippi, I'm sure people's ears were pricking up. They were trying to figure out how on earth can Paul find something that's positive coming out of this. He goes on, as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You see, with God there are no obstacles, only opportunities. Brothers and sisters, I'm sitting chained to a Roman guard. If I'm preaching in the marketplace, people have the freedom to get up and go away. But this guy, this guy has no chance. He's chained to me. He's nowhere to go. And once his shift is over, the next prison guard comes in, clamps himself to me, and I've got another few hours to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. And so forth and so on as the guards change. He has this opportunity to share Christ. You know, it makes you think, though, doesn't it? Paul sees his mission field at this moment in this prison cell. And it makes you think, do we miss our mission field because it's right before us? Do we think of the mission field as Africa or China, the missionary going and training and going and doing a work overseas? It sort of it helps us to detach ourselves a wee bit from the responsibility of it. Or is your mission field the man you sit beside in your work? Is it the person you play golf with? Is it the woman you play bowls with? Is it your brother, your sister, your mother, your father? Where's your mission field? Because if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what age at all or what background, you're a missionary. You're a missionary. And there are people in your life that you can reach for Christ better than anyone else can. For Paul at this moment, his mission field is the cell, these prison guards. Does he want to be there? Of course not. Of course he doesn't want to be there. But he realizes that his chains in Jesus Christ, they're a part of God's roadmap for the moment in his life. That's where God has him. Corey Tenboom was arrested during the Second World War for a number of things. Um, she was arrested for hiding Jews in her home. She was arrested for gathering stolen ration cards so that she distributed to the Jews so that they could eat. She was arrested for helping Jews to escape to a safe location. She and her sister Betsy, they were both in the same uh, concentration camp and they used to hold at times of worship and Bible study within the concentration camp, and many in that camp came to faith in Christ. There's a poem, and you probably have heard it. And it's attributed to Corrie Ten Boom, but I'm going to read it for you. It's Life is But a Weaving. You've probably heard this one. Um, it's my, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, 
and I in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. And Paul recognizes that the dark threads in his life are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. It's often in the dark times in our lives when God can work in us most and work through us most. It's when we have come to the end of our strength, to the end of our resources, and it's his power breaks through at those times during the dark threads of life. In spite of where Paul is, God still has a mission for him. And God has given him the opportunity to reach these guards for Jesus Christ. And they're guards that probably would never, ever be reached any other way. But the grace of God reaches into that cell through Paul, and many of the guards come to faith. Now Paul is saying, let me tell you what's happening outside of the cell as a result of me being in here. Verse 14, he says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. In other words, he's saying, some have really been inspired by the fact I'm in prison for Christ. And it's motivated them. It's got them up off their backsides and moved them out to share the gospel, to get the gospel out to people in spite of the dangers. They found a new courage. Yet others, he says, are bitter towards him. He says, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Isn't that strange, isn't it? The green-eyed monster coming between preachers. And uh, you might be surprised at that, but I'm sure you can agree with me that, uh, that Satan often uses Christians to do his dirty business. And uh, Paul in prison is drawing uh, uh, us to to, to notice that these preachers, they're they're, they're jealous of of the fact that I'm getting the limelight. The focus is on me in prison, not on them. And he says, some are preaching out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Isn't that sad? And the idea he's saying that the more they preach outside, the more they get the Roman guards riled up. And when they come in, they're angry at me and they take it out on me. They cause trouble. You know, he says there, the actual Greek word for trouble, it's, it's friction. It's friction. And uh, it, it prompts a vivid picture of the painful rubbing of the chains on the wrists and the, and the legs. And he says, they stir up trouble for me. They stir up trouble. And these guys aren't heretics that are doing this. 
They're not false teachers. Otherwise, Paul would say, listen, don't be listening to them at all. But no, they're preaching the gospel. They have ulterior motives, but they're still preaching Christ. And then there's others, dear, love them. And God, God anoints other guys who are preaching out of love and, and who are preaching the true gospel, just like the other guys are, but also, but they're doing it out of love, out of their right motives. And Paul turns around and verse 18 says, but listen, I'm, only, I'm just glad that Jesus Christ is being preached, whether by somebody doing it for the ulterior motives, whether somebody's doing it for false motives or true motives, pure motives or impure motives, it doesn't matter as long as Jesus Christ is being preached. That's the main thing. That's all that matters. I wonder if you remember the, the parable Jesus gave of the Pharisee and the tax collector and Jesus says they both went to the temple to pray. And uh, the Pharisee's standing there, and he's very proud. And he's praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like robbers. I'm not like evildoers. I'm not like adulterers. You know, I'm not even like him over there, that tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like that. I give tithes in every month. Oh, I'm, I'm just great. Thank you that I'm not like that guy. And meanwhile, there's another guy, the tax collector, standing there, and he's beating his breast, and he's, 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 he's so ashamed, he doesn't even want to look up to heaven. And he's saying, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, you know who will go out right with God? It'll be the tax collector. I know it's a parable, but Paul was such a Pharisee. He was a proud man. He hated the gospel message with a vengeance. See, in the law of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, it says that any man who's hung on a tree is cursed of God. And that's why the, the gospel was such a stumbling block to the Jews, because Jesus here, what more evidence do you need? Jesus is accursed of God. He cannot be the Messiah. He's accursed of God. And so they didn't realize that Jesus was on that tree for our curses because of the curse of God that was on us. And he was taking it in our place. But Paul was determined to protect Judaism from what he thought was this heresy of Christianity and this abomination of a Messiah. Until that day when he met Christ face to face. And it changed his life for time and eternity. As you know, on, on the way to Damascus, he was knocked off the, the, his horse. And he was confronted with Christ. And he was blinded. And what a moment of grace. It seems so dramatic and horrifying but it was a moment of God's grace in his life because he was on his way to a lost eternity. And it takes him to be blind before he can see. It takes him to be blinded by this mass of light and confronted Christ before he can truly see who Christ is. And when he gets up, instead of feeling sick at the thought of the Messiah being on a cross, the abomination of that. He draws the cross to his chest and embraces it as his main message. 
He says here, as long as Jesus Christ is being preached, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. He reminds the Corinthian church of the same thing, 1 Corinthians 1.23. We preach Christ crucified. That's the job description God has given to me, and we preach Christ crucified. And he says, uh, it's a stumbling block to Jews. I understand that. It seems like foolishness to Greeks. I understand that. But for those who are called of God, for those who experience him, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, Paul realizes, you see, and this is the crux of it all. Paul realizes without Christ, he's a goner. Without Christ, he's a goner. He was walking into a lost eternity. And because of the grace of God on the Damascus road, he stopped and changed direction. Because what he realized was, miss Christ, you miss salvation. Miss Christ, and you miss salvation. And that's the truth that dug deep into Paul's heart and deep into his psyche to the point where nothing would put him off. Nothing. It was about getting the gospel out at whatever cost. I wonder, have you ever sat down and seriously thought and reflected on what Paul went through to get the gospel to Gentiles? Us, we're non-Jews, that's what Gentiles are. To get the gospel to us, what he went through? He tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, from the Jews, I, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. The Jews believed that 40 stripes could kill a man. But they saw themselves as being a wee bit gracious. They'd give 39 instead. Hopefully the man wouldn't die from that. Three times he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He's referring there to when he was in Lystra. And they stoned him, and they thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the town. They thought he was dead. Three times, he says, I've been shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day treading water in the ocean. I've gone hungry. I've been cold. I've been exhausted. But none of that matters. It doesn't matter. None of that matters as long as I can get the gospel out. And that's what gets him up Time and time again, every time he's beaten, he gets back up. Every time he's thrown in prison and gets released, he goes straight to the prayer meeting or straight to the synagogue or straight to the marketplace to reach people for Christ. You know, Paul, he didn't have any weapons to defend himself with. He had only one weapon, which wasn't a defensive thing, but he had one weapon, that was the gospel. It's described by him as the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The word power here in the New Testament is the Greek word dunamis, uh, from which we derive our English word dynamite. You know, the gospel is not just... Uh, some theological statement or doctrine of belief that you sign your name under. The gospel is the dynamite of God which explodes into a person's life and changes their life and their destiny 
forever. When I come in repentance, or when you come in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ, that's when the force of Calvary kicks in. That's when the force of Calvary kicks in. All of my sins, all of my evil thoughts, all of the words that I've said in bitterness and anger, they're all laid on him. And his righteousness and his purity is laid on me. The the death that I have died has been 2,000 years ago on Calvary, retrospectively, my my life has been crucified then. And when I trust in Christ, his life kicks in. Calvary, the force of Calvary, kicks in to my life and he gives me newness of life. We have a wonderful, wonderful Savior. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I bet you that would have been Paul's favorite hymn if if that had been written at that time. Amazing grace, by the grace of God on that Damascus road, Christ stopped me from going into lost eternity. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He was persecuting people. I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. C.T. Studd, an English missionary who served in China and Africa, his motto was, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And that's what Paul's motto was as well. We've got to get the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ out at any cost because it's the power of God unto salvation. But almost finished now. The important thing, says Paul, is that in every way, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. And he says, because of this, I rejoice. I may be in a prison cell, but I'm rejoicing that Christ is being preached in this prison cell to the guards and outside the prison cell by others. It's important that we don't become an eccentric congregation. It's so important that we don't get off-center. If we do, if we no longer have Christ as center, if he suddenly or gradually slides to the side, we might find years to come that Jesus is knocking on the door outside wanting to get back in again and us wondering how on earth did he get out there in the first place. How easily it is for the fire of God in our hearts to grow dim. It can grow dim so easily. Each of us have to be on guard in our own lives and make sure that doesn't happen. In the letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus praises them so much for what they've done, for the good things they've done, for their strength and their faith and their character. But he says, and this is so sad, he says, nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. And it can happen so easily. 
And I wonder, is that you this morning? And if it is you, I don't want you to despair. I just want you to recognize it. Lost by definition means to be replaced. You've misplaced your first love. It doesn't mean it's gone forever. You've just misplaced it. And Jesus goes on to tell the church at Ephesus, go back to the basics. Go back to when you first fell in love with me. Go back to our love relationship at the very beginning. Rekindle and allow the Holy Spirit to rekindle that love in your heart once more. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's keep Christ central in our lives. Let's keep him central in our church. And as we honor him, we'll see him moving in small things and larger things. We'll see his guidance. We'll see his anointing. We'll see his leadership. And we'll be blessed by it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you God, that you are such a faithful God. When I look at my own life, Father, how faithless at times I can be, how unfaithful I can be. Lord, like Isaiah standing there, excited to be in your presence in Isaiah 6, and seeing the Lord in all his glory, and yet suddenly he realizes, dear goodness, I'm a sinful man when I see myself in the light of your purity. And Lord, each of us, I'm sure, are like that. And Lord, we want to have you as head of our church, head of our lives, King of kings, Lord of lords, centerpiece. We want that, Lord, with all our hearts. And Lord, when we slip away from that, please, by your Holy Spirit, jolt us back into place again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to finish just with that in Christ alone. It's, it's Christ that we want in our congregation. It's Christ that can heal. It's Christ that can save. It's Christ that can bring you comfort and strength through your difficult times, your difficult storms in life. Let's worship him.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.